morning, everyone. Uh, the reading for today will be taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 31 to 38. For the big Bible, it would be in page 1674. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know, that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow, follow me now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Let me pray. Father, please open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your word this morning, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, one of the things um, that I'm sure many of us have been doing uh, during COVID uh, is watching movies. I personally love watching movies. Um, I am a huge fan because I love good stories, like I'm sure many of us do. And um, one of the things I've noticed is in movies, they tend to have, uh, at least the good ones, you know, tend to have three themes. Now, I just wanted to check, are my slides working? Is that... Ah, there we go, Fantastic. Uh, okay, one of the things they have is three themes, right? So they have glory, love, and betrayal in many of the good stories. Uh, let me give you an example. Star Wars, one of my favourite uh, movies of all time, the, the old school one especially. Uh, so we see there in the, in the trilogy, we see glory, we see love, uh, we see betrayal. Uh, likewise, in The Matrix, uh, one of my favourite films, we see glory, <laughs> we see love, and we see betrayal. And, of course, my all-time favourite trilogy, uh, The Lord of the Rings, we see glory, uh, we see love, and we see betrayal. Uh, So I think that's the stuff of many good stories. And so it it should come as no surprise, perhaps, um, that in uh, perhaps the greatest story ever told, the gospel, in this case, according to John, uh, we see these three themes played out. uh, And in particular, uh, in our passage this morning, glory, love, and betrayal. Uh, so if you are, um, I'm not sure if anyone's taking notes, but if you are, they're going to be our three headings. Uh, I think they're on the outline uh, in front of you already. So let's have a look at, at each of those in turn. Uh, number one, glory. Uh, and I encourage you to keep your Bible open or your, uh, you know, the app on your phone if you have that. Uh, I'm going to be referring to the passage. So have a look uh, with me again uh, at verse uh, 31. It says this, When Judas was gone, Jesus said, 
Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him uh, at once. So the context here is, I'm sure many of us or all of us know, um, it's the Last Supper. Uh, It's the night before Jesus dies. Uh, And so Jesus is with his good friends, but then all of a sudden Judas goes and Jesus says, he realises that this is now a turn, this is now a a major moment uh, in the story. He says, now, right? So he's indicating that something major is happening. That's because Jesus knows that when Judas goes, he started an inevitable chain of events, right? When Judas goes, he will inevitably go to the soldiers. He will inevitably take the soldiers back to arrest Jesus. Those soldiers will inevitably uh, arrest Jesus, which will inevitably lead to his trial, and his trial will inevitably lead to his death. All right, so that's why Jesus says now uh, it's a turning point, right? It's, it's a crossing of the Rubicon moment, right? It's a, the die is now cast, if you like. And what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't say, now the Son of Man is a goner, right? He says, now the Son of Man is glorified, uh, which I think is fascinating. Um, what does he mean when he says, now the Son of Man is glorified? Um, well, I think uh, one of the reasons might be this, um, probably the pinnacle of being glorified uh, in the ancient uh, world, in the Greco-Roman world, was to have a triumph. Okay, a triumph uh, was, um, maybe you might think of it like a ticket tape parade for uh, returning sporting heroes uh, from winning, you know, World Series or whatever. Um, It was when a general um, came back from, you know, the battlefield after a great triumph, uh, a great victory, they'd have a great big procession, okay? So they'd be uh, at the front of the procession, they'd be, you know, the slaves that they've captured. Uh, then behind them, you know, there'd be the, the treasure chests and all the loot. Uh, and then, they'd, you know, the civil magistrates would kind of get in on the action, see, you know, where with this guy, you can vote for us next time, you know. Um, you know, politicians never change, right? Um, and then um, at the end of the procession, uh, the climax, right, would be the general leading his troops, all looking fantastic, but the general would be on a chariot drawn by four horses. So it was an incredible moment of um, elation and praise. That's what it meant in the Greco-Roman world to be uh, glorified. Um, it was the pinnacle moment when everyone could see the greatness, you know, the intelligence, the bravery, uh, the brilliance of the general. Do you know what Jesus is saying here when he says, now the Son of Man is glorified? He's saying that his inevitable death uh, would not lead to a defeat. Uh, he's saying his inevitable de- uh, death would leave, lead to a triumph. And that's very counterintuitive. But what Jesus is saying is this, on the cross, Jesus defeated our greatest enemies. On the cross, Jesus destroyed Satan's power over our lives. On the cross, Jesus paid the price that our sins deserve. Uh, And so on the cross, Jesus put death to death. You see, on the cross, he defeated uh, Satan and sin and death. And that means that the cross is the pinnacle moment, right, when the Son of Man is glorified. Um, It's the pinnacle moment when all get to see his greatness on display, right, just like that Roman general in the triumph. 
And so in particular, you could say that on the cross, we, we, we do see, we see the holiness of God, right? One of the greatness of the glory of God. Uh, and we see his righteous anger being poured out uh, upon um, on Jesus, right, for our sin. Uh, but on the other hand, we, we don't just see his holiness, we see his love poured out. For God so loved the world that he gave us his precious son who lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we deserve to die in our place on the cross, right? So we see the holiness, we see the love of God on display and that is God's glory. He's, you know, the pinnacle of God's glory on display in the cross. It's very counterintuitive, but that's the way God has planned it. Now, um, there's a great song. Some of you might know it, I'm not sure. It's by Graham um, Kendrick, uh, and it captures this idea beautifully about the glory of God on display in the cross. It goes like this. It says, We worship at your feet, where wrath and mercy meet, and a guilty world is washed by love's pure stream. For us, he was made sin. Oh, help me take it in. I worship, I worship the lamb who was slain. You know, like the crowds praising the general and the triumph. That is us when we see the glory of Jesus on display on the cross, what he's done for us. All right, so what's our response uh, to all of this? Uh, Well, there are many things we could say, and and I'm suggesting above all, perhaps, um, is that we gaze upon the glory of Jesus dying for us on the cross uh, and that we praise him for that. Uh, But another thing I think that we really should take away from this uh, is this. Let me encourage you to remember that um, this is the night before Jesus died, right? It's his last supper, and his disciples had no idea what was about to hit them, all right? They were enjoying good food and good wine with good friends, you know, very cosy, very relaxed. And it kind of reminds me of uh, where I think most of us were about this time last year, right? We, things were good. Things were great. We had no idea, right, that we were about to be hit by 2020. Or you could even say September 2019, the bushfires hit, then global pandemic and, you know, now economic disaster. Who knows what's going to happen over the next um, months or years? And, um, you know, I don't know, friends. I do not know what good will come out of what we're experiencing uh, right now. Uh, But one thing I do know, uh, we worship the God who brings triumph out of tragedy. Uh, We worship the God who snatches victory out of the jaws of defeat. He's the God who brings good out of evil. He did it on the cross, right? The greatest evil that's ever been committed, putting the Son of God to death uh, on the cross. And out of that evil, he brought the greatest good, the salvation of all who put their faith in him. All right, he's the God who raises the dead. And friends, that brings me incredible hope that even if we don't understand how God is at work, right, he's the God who brings order out of chaos and rebirth and he transforms. So, friends, hopefully that brings you comfort as it has done for me uh, in the midst of great tragedy, that he brings triumph out of that. So that's point number one, glory. Point number two, love. I want to change gears uh, now because um, it's been quite heavy, uh, point number one. Uh, As we transition to point number two, I thought we'd um, play a little bit of trivia. Um, I don't know uh, if you feel like you'd like to play along. Feel free to play along in your head or feel free to call out uh, as you like. Uh, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you some um, international rugby teams. And I want to see if you can guess uh, or or tell tell us, tell everyone, 
uh, what team these fans follow. All right, which team do these people follow? The Wallabies. Oh, spot on. Uh, what about these guys? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can see there on their flag. Uh, what about these guys? New Zealand, the All Blacks, that's it. And these guys? Springboks, South Africa. Brilliant. All right. Now, I won't get you to answer this out loud, but how did you know who these people follow? Well, it's because of the colours they're wearing, right? The, the colours, the jerseys, the, you know, the flags, the face paint, etc. Um, that's their badge of belonging. That's their display of who they follow. All right, now, what about us? How does Jesus want us to show the world uh, that we're his followers? Uh, I think for many of us, um, or, or at least you know, people who haven't been around all that long around church and, and Christianity and so forth, I think many people perhaps think that the badge or the way we display that we're a follower of Jesus is baptism, uh, or you know, uh, it's our attendance at church, or uh, you know, it's if we give to church, or if we serve on a roster, and they're all great, obviously fantastic things uh, to do. But what is fascinating is what Jesus says uh, here in this passage. Have a look with me uh, at verse 34 about how he wants the world to know that we're his followers or we're his disciples. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. All right, so what Jesus is saying here is that he's saying the truest way, the, the, the clearest way that you show that you're a follower of Jesus is the way in which you love one another. And so just to clarify, he's talking there about how we love other Christians. Okay? He, obviously, we are called to love everyone, uh, including, says Jesus, we're called to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. But he's especially here talking about how we love those in the family of believers. And he says it's a new command, verse 34, uh, now, if you know Leviticus 19 or other places in the Bible, you know, it's not exactly a new command insofar as we've always been told to love. Uh, Leviticus 19 says, love your neighbour as yourself. Uh, but what's so new about here is the standard by which we're called to love. Uh, and that is we're called to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And so for the disciples, um, that would have immediately called to mind, I think, um, how Jesus loved them just a moment ago, which was he washed their feet. There we go. And, um, you know, Jesus stripped down to, um, just, a, just a towel wrapped around himself uh, and he became like a servant symbolically and he washed their feet. And, friends, I want to say to this day, do you, do you realise um, he remains in a disposition like that uh, like a servant towards us. Um, yes, he rules the world at the right hand of God. Um, he is the all-powerful, mighty son of God, right, in shimmering, beautiful, um, you know, incomparable glory. And yet there's not a moment that goes by when he's not thinking about us. Um, there's not a moment that goes by that he's not concerned uh, for us. There's not a moment he goes by when he's not like the most diligent servant, always attending to our every need. Now, notice I didn't say he's always attending to our every want. Um, I don't know about you, but I can testify that God um, doesn't even come close to giving me everything I want and pray for. And I trust that that is absolutely for my good, that he doesn't do that. Uh, But I do trust that he is always good and that he always gives me everything I need and everything you need uh, for our eternal uh, joy and his eternal glory. 
But Jesus doesn't just love us like a uh, faithful, diligent servant. He loves us like the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. Uh, And he says to his disciples, he says to us, love one another like that, right? Love one another at uh, great cost to yourself with sacrifice. And uh, that's how the world will know that you are my disciples. So friends, what does that actually look like for us to live that out? Um, now, as a guest preacher, I, I don't know what it looks like specifically for each of you because I don't really know you. Um, one thing I can say is I've been really stoked since I walked into this room. I can see the love uh, that you have for guests. I can see the love you have for one another, and that's awesome. But let me just um, suggest a few basic um, thoughts on what it might look like um, in particular, and I'll let you think, think through how it might apply to you, you, you guys in, in, in particular. Um, so let me just say, loving a church family doesn't just mean serving on a roster. Of course, that's a good thing to do. Um, love means more than that. Love means praying for one another um, as Jesus continually prays for us. Uh, love means showing hospitality uh, towards one another, even when that's tricky, uh, and perhaps even for people you don't like uh, all that much. Um, love means including others who are often left out. Love means lending a hand to someone in need. Love means putting up with music um, that perhaps you don't really like, but you know that others at church do. Um, love means resisting the urge to gossip or you know, bring others down, and instead um, it means using your words to build others up. Love means forgiving someone who's deeply wronged you. Um, even if there's actually not a chance of reconciliation, love still means forgive them from the heart. And, of course, there are many more ways um, that we are called to love, like Jesus has loved us. But I think at the end of the day, it's, it's worth pointing out they're, all, they're often very, very hard uh, to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And if you're anything like me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest you won't do it um, unless you know, you're not going to treat others with a love like Jesus unless you're filled with the love of Jesus uh, in your heart. And so let me encourage you to keep going back to the cross. Uh, keep reminding yourself and each other of the great love of Jesus poured out for us there and look to him uh, as your inspiration um, and as your source uh, of what it looks like to love um, just because he's loved us. He calls us to love others. Uh, so that's point number two. Uh, point number three is, uh, when I get there, there we go. Point number three is betrayal. Now, you might have noticed uh, we skipped over verse 33. Um, So just before Jesus teaches his disciples to love in verse 34, um, he tells them, I'm leaving, in verse 33. And so there, verse 36, um, you know, after Jesus says, look, love one another, Peter's like, whoa, 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 let's just go back to the thing you just mentioned a while ago, uh, and that is, you're leaving us? Wait, wait, where are you going, Jesus? That's what Peter says. Lord, where are you going? Now, it's good to know Peter um, fully believed, um, you know, Jesus was the Messiah, right? We see that earlier in the story. Uh, but I think for Peter, what, what he thought that meant was that Jesus was going to be a uh, kind of like a King David figure, uh, someone who was going to be, um, you know, at the head of an army, uh, someone who's going to militarily conquer all the enemies of Israel. So I think Peter thought 
uh, that Jesus was going to maybe use signs and wonders or maybe get on a horse and, you know, gather the troops and kick out the Romans and restore the kingdom of David or the kingdom of Solomon, the kingdom of God on earth, in other words. So that's why Peter's starting to freak out. What do you mean you're leaving, Jesus? We need you. Indeed, Jesus did come to restore God's kingdom on earth, uh, but not by killing others. Um, Jesus came to restore God's kingdom on earth by dying for others. And so uh, that's why Jesus tells Peter in verse 36, he says, Where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Jesus is saying, Peter, you will die, uh, not to establish God's kingdom, but because uh, only he can do that. Uh, you will die as a, as a witness to God's kingdom, and that's going to come later. But the main thing I want to focus on here is uh, verses 37 and 38, uh, and that is this. Um, it's, you know, Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So instead of um, sacrificing himself to save Jesus, Jesus knows that Peter is going to, um, you know, he's going to sacrifice Jesus, so to speak. He's going to sell out Jesus to save himself. Now, that's betrayal. I don't know if you've ever been uh, betrayed. Um, many years ago, um, actually before I was a Christian, I was dating someone and uh, when I was on student exchange in Canada, uh, and they got really drunk uh, at a party where I wasn't there, and they you know, kiss someone, and I found out about it later, and I was devastated um, when, when I found out, and we managed to patch things up, and, um, but, you know, things were never the same again, and um, my suspicion is a group this size, um, I'm sure many, or, or some at least, have, have experienced betrayal far, with far worse consequences and far more devastation than that. And so I suspect um, some or many of us know uh, what Jesus would have felt in his heart to know that one of his best friends uh, just moments later was going to betray him and deny that he even knew him. And so what I find so remarkable is that Jesus doesn't say, get out of here, you know, like some of us might be inclined to do. Um, he doesn't say, you know, you're fired. You're not worthy to be one of my disciples. And, you know, as you know, Peter went on to become like the head uh, of the church, uh, at least in Jerusalem. But in fact, no, he, he stays. Jesus stays with Peter. Um, so I want us, to, you know, just to draw this out for us as, as we close in just a moment. What this teaches us, I think, is that there is no sin that you can commit that God cannot forgive. If your sin is big, the mercy and grace of God is even bigger. He will always forgive if we keep trusting in Jesus. Just come back to him and from your heart say, I'm sorry. And I think it's incredible. Um, John 13 really is a tale of two betrayals. Uh, We see Judas betraying Jesus and we see Peter betraying Jesus. And what's remarkable is that... um, only Peter is restored, right? As far as we know, Judas never, uh, never reconciled with Jesus. And so that's, that's the key difference. It's why was one forgiven, the other wasn't? It's because Peter came back. You know, Peter, Peter stayed with Jesus. He said he was sorry. And that's the key. Um, friends, I dare say that all of us betray Jesus, in a sense, uh, every time we sin. 
I think sin at the end of the day is um, trusting in something other than Jesus for our happiness. Uh, that's, that's often why we sin. But Jesus knows what we're like. He knew Peter's heart more than Peter knew his own heart. And he knows our hearts better than we do. But the amazing thing is that he stays with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us, even when we sin. And he just calls us to say sorry and recommit our lives to follow him. He's that kind of God. He's so gracious and loving and forgiving. So, friends, if any of us here this morning and we're wrestling with guilt, I want you to know, I think God wants you to know that God is more willing to forgive than you are able to sin. And likewise, if there are friends of yours or maybe family members who are really... um, Maybe they seem like they're so far away from God. I want to encourage you, keep praying for them. For there is no one who is so far lost that they are beyond the mercy and grace of God to find and bring back home. So with that, let me pray. Father, we praise you that you are the God of glory who turned tragedy to triumph on the cross. You did it then. You, can, you will and can, and can continue to do it again. We praise you that you're the God of love who calls us to love like your son loves us. And we praise you that you're the God of forgiveness. Even if we betray you, you will never leave us nor forsake us. So we love you, Father. We worship you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.